I'm Adam Shepard, and this week we've got another special episode for you. Regular listeners will remember that we held our podcast growth summit at the Barbican in London a couple of months ago. And today we thought we'd give you a sneak peek at some of the insightful sessions we had as part of the event. If you're listening to this, chances are that the question of how to grow your podcast has occurred to you at some point, whether you're looking to grow download numbers, revenue, or just your own skills. The best way to accomplish any of these goals is to create exceptional content, and that's what this panel session is all about. In this discussion, History Hits head of podcast Steve Lanham, Persis Love, audio producer for the Financial Times, and Michelle Douglas, senior podcast producer for the National Trust, talk to PodPod's Reem McCurry about how they create podcasts that deeply resonate with their chosen audience. We hope you enjoy. So we'll start off with some introductions. So why don't you guys just tell us about what your role is and what podcasts you work on? Yeah, I'll start. I'm Steve Lanham. I'm head of podcasts for History Hit. Uh, we make podcasts like Dan Snow's History Hit, The Ancients, Gone Not Just the Tudors, Betwixt the Sheets, American History Hit and After Dark. That's our slate of current podcasts. Uh, we publish 16 episodes a week, free of charge to people. Uh, and we also recently launched a, uh, well, not that recently now, earlier this year, a subscription offer, which includes bonus episodes of some of our podcasts. And I'm Persis and I'm a producer at the Financial Times. We've got lots of kind of different shows across different areas of the news. At the moment, I'm working on with the investigations team on a pro- podcast with them. And I worked for a long time on Money Clinic, which is the FT's personal finance podcast, and also more recently have made a mini series for the tech podcast. So kind of like scripted narrative mini series. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Michelle Douglas, and I'm a senior podcast producer at the National Trust. Thank you very much for having me today. Um, so I work across National Trust's audio brand. So the main one that we do is a National Trust podcast, which is an immersive expedition podcast. And we're building a network of miniseries as well. So um, we're hoping to launch a National Trust kids series, working with fun kids, and we're moving into audio guides as well, which is uh, another whole interesting area. Great. Persis, we'll start off with you. The Financial Times produces a number of podcasts, and some of them are even award-winning as well. How has investing into podcasting helped you reach new audiences? I think it, I think it's helped a lot. I mean, obviously the the FT is behind a paywall, so it like a lot of the journalism there is inaccessible to people unless they're paying for it or unless they kind of happen to come across some of the free articles that are there. So podcasting is a way of like getting that journalism to completely new audiences, and I think there is there is some crossover between subscribers to the Financial Times and the people who listen to the podcast. But um, but yeah, loads of people only listen to the podcast and don't subscribe to the Financial Times and don't read the Financial Times. Something that the FT would like is that the podcast listeners become FT subscribers down the line as well. But yeah, and I think the, you know, because of the, because of the sort of the price of an FT subscription and the, the image of it as a brand, the, the age of subscribers to the to the paper tend to be a bit older than the podcast audience as well so it's kind of like giving an avenue for ft journalism to be listened to by a kind of by a younger audience maybe or or just a different audience who wouldn't necessarily come across the print stuff and one of the most popular financial times podcasts is the news briefing one 
how do you ensure that the content that you have on the podcast is different than the content that you're putting online? Well, the news briefing, I mean, the stories that are on the news briefing, so it's a daily news show and it's three, um, tends to be three kind of headline news stories, Monday to Friday, every morning. The stories that we do put on there do come from articles that have been published in the FT, but I think just inevitably by the fact of something being spoken. So most of the segments are an interview with the reporter that's written the piece and the host. Yeah, most of the segments, I just think like if you're having someone talk about a story, then it is it is different. They kind of like bring different things to it. I think there's things that you can say that, that don't come across well in writing or that don't kind of like make it into, you know, there's a, a short word count or like a quite, you know, formalized way of writing an article or like a mood that you can convey through speaking about something that, that wouldn't necessarily come across in a news article. So it's not necessarily that the stories like the stories in that instance are the same as the stories that are going out on the on the financial times but website but i think just it's like a different way of of presenting it and a different way of kind of approaching the story and in a way that i think maybe makes you know is accessible in a different way because for me anyway but this is probably because i'm a podcast person hearing someone talk about something kind of like makes it make sense more easily to me do you find that audiences tend to be a bit more engaged with the news when it comes in an audio format? I don't, I actually don't know. I don't know if we have the the insights that can tell us that. I think like on the newspaper, you, people can leave comments very directly. So you get a very clear sense of when people are engaged with it and people comment a lot when they are and, you know, discussions happen there. And there isn't really that same, that same thing with, with audio. So it's it's kind of hard. I mean, you have the listeners, you have the like the listener figures, but you don't really know anything beyond that. Or it's quite hard to get those insights. So, so yeah, I, I wouldn't know to say basically. And Steve, uh, History Hit has had a very successful year. Um, you took the silver award for best networker publisher at the BPAs. Um, what do you, what would you say your main strategy for this year was? For us, I've been at History Hit now for three years. And in that time, we've kind of gone from being a network that had one very big podcast to now having a, a network of, of shows. And that's kind of always been the aim of, of what we've tried to do is to grow our network and not be so reliant on one big show. And we've kind of done that through, first of all, spreading out into time period history podcasts. So things like The Ancients and Not Just the Tudors. But also since then and this year with our, our most recent launch, After Dark, which is kind of true crime, miss paranormal history, is, is kind of trying to always push the audience a little bit further. So we, we've got a very large and very engaged history audience and kind of always had, have done through Dan's podcast. But everything I've tried to do since then is, is kind of hook in more people who maybe don't know their history fans or, or kind of have been slightly intimidated in the past by history as a subject. So things like Betwixt the Sheets, um, it's another example of, of a show that was very obviously a history podcast, but also aimed at people who maybe don't know that they love history quite so much. So th this year has been all about kind of that really is just continuing to grow the audiences of those shows and also to, to build a community around them. So history hit is a, is a kind of, a brand that has a, we have a subscription TV channel as well. So we've always had paying subscribers, but this year we've been kind of including 
audio more in that subscription and through Apple Podcasts and and also our partner Acast, we've kind of built out our our subscription offer to kind of build that community, give people extra content and more of the things they they love. So that's kind of been the focus for us this year. And about like um pushing, you know, different boundaries and stuff. I know you've recently launched a true crime podcast, which is new for the company. How do you select which genres you want to explore and how important do you think it is to keep trying out new genres and different formats? Yeah, it's really important. And and the kind of the thing about us doing so many episodes a week, sixteen episodes seems like a it is a lot, um, for the, the team that we've got. Um, it gives us a lot of data, especially for for Dan's podcast, which is like basically geriatric for a podcast it's sort of uh eight or nine years old now we've got sort of thousands of, of data points for what the audience loves and what they particularly tune into so it's just kind of looking at those trends across our own podcasts but also opportunities outside of what we're currently doing so you know i don't think it's a big secret that that kind of true crime does very well but also we have to know that there's something worthwhile in it for us and and i kind of felt that the kind of real history behind a lot of these kind of paranormal true crime stories is not really represented elsewhere. So it seemed like a good opportunity for us to do something a little bit different. We've also got two hosts for that podcast, whereas our, our general shows are one host and a guest. So that again, allowed us to sort of try something slightly different format wise. Anyone who's got a podcast, I think if you, if you do it for long enough and, and the comments that we had earlier about the, the difficulty of looking at different apps for, for listener numbers and things like that, but it, it's, it's so worthwhile to look into what things perform particularly well. And you don't want to do too much of that stuff, but just kind of learning what your audience loves is, is really valuable, I think. Are there any genres that you have not yet explored that you want to at some point in the future? Oh, yeah, there'd be loads. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've always sort of wanted to do a sport podcast. Uh, my background, I'm not a historian. My background is I worked at Radio 4. I actually worked in comedy before that. Um, so having a, a, a kind of history comedy program at Radio 4, we had You're Dead to Me, which is obviously the most successful version of that. But yeah, again, you know, there's, there's basically history in everything that we do. So it's kind of finding how do we as a company tell those stories in a way that adds something different. Thank you. Now, Michelle, for, for the National Trust, I wanted to ask about what your podcast strategy is and what the kind of content is that you focus on. Sure. Well, I guess it's, um, uh, so podcast strategy is to offer these immersive experiences for people. So I suppose what we do is we offer something extra to our existing audiences. So maybe people, people that know the National Trust that have an experience at the National Trust. So we're making accessible immersive experiences for them and adding value and maybe deep dive into the stories that they know and the people that they might know that are associated with the National Trust. And if you don't know the National Trust, so we look after historical homes, coasts, forests, um, basically special places around the UK. So it's, um, and our tagline is for, we look after nature. Oh my goodness, I'm going to forget it. Nature, history and beauty for everyone forever. So that's really what our brand is trying to put across in audio form. Um, we try to be, I suppose, a sonic experience of that. So something that's quite experiential, something that's immersive. And the other thing that we do, I suppose, is to reach those new audiences as well. So we've talked about, it's really appealing 
the brands to reach the slightly younger audiences. So the main listenership in podcasts would be the 25 to 34s, which is really appealing for us because actually that's a little bit younger than, say, a traditional National Trust member. When we've run surveys, we know that about 50% of people are not National Trust members as well. So some people might come to us for the brand and some people might come to us for our content. So I suppose a bit like you, Steve, and what you've said, Persis, we're looking to offer content that's bigger than our brand that tells really big stories through a National Trust lens. Some of the podcasts that we're looking at for our next series, for example, you mentioned true crime. So we know that younger audiences love a kind of spooky true crime story. So we're looking at a Halloween episode set at a National Trust property, which is Corfe Castle, which is very atmospheric. And our presenter is going to be a history detective and they're going to meet characters who are ghosts that are going to tell them this story of this castle. So it's looking at what the audiences might be interested in and reaching them with content, with great content to really pull them in. And then they'll hopefully get to know our brand and brand value. But I think it's really about um, making content that's going to appeal to people, that's going to be relevant to people. When they come to you, they know they're going to get something of quality. You've got your USP. So I mentioned that ours is we record on location. So it's a little bit different from a studio interview. It's very resource heavy, I would say, but it's very um, fun to make. And they get a particular experience. So it's making that emotional connection, I suppose, that they keep coming to you as a national trust, as a brand, and whatever strand that you put out, they know they're going to get particular things when they come to you. And how how have podcasts um, helped you raise awareness for the organization? Well, again, I think it's getting up in people's worlds, isn't it? So it's it's getting out externally into people's apps, into their spaces, but also, I think, into people's routines as well. So we know that podcast is something that's transformed our habits. So we can take people to a National Trust property when they're on their really boring commute or they're doing their chores so I think it's um, we go to them in their worlds and offer something of value that's going to be an enriching experience and make an emotional connection. Um, and then hopefully, we I would say we do wear the brand very lightly as well. So it's all about those big stories. So don't bang on about a brand a lot. It's the world through and it's a great story and they're going to learn something as well so that's the thing you know people want to use their commute to really learn something to empower them to say oh so since it's really interesting podcast I'm blah, 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 blah. they remember content not necessarily your brand but if you use that tactic then eventually they'll associate your brand with oh that was really high value um that was really interesting oh and it was a national trust podcast so it is audience first and, and content first for us and that's how we're, we're reaching new audiences hopefully so coming from a brand perspective, what would you say your main goal of success was? I think it I think it is I think it's adding brand value. So I think National Trust have got quite an advantage in that we're a reasonably well known brand. It's um Europe's largest conservation charity. So for me it would be adding value. So if you might be someone that thinks, Oh, the National Trust is not for me, I'm not a member then actually you might listen to a podcast in your world and you might think, oh, you know, that was a great story. Now I'm inspired to continue my, sorry to use the word user journey here, but, you know, user journey. So I want to arrange my own adventure paddleboarding or I really want to go and visit that kind of doing a, a podcast, you know, and it's, okay, who are the audience? What can you offer them? Is there a gap in the market? Are you offering them something purposeful? And do you have a big enough story to offer them? So I think if you have that in mind, that would be my absolute top tip because then you are going about it the right way. And I was going to say you can't go wrong. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not quite sure about that, but do think about the audience first and what you specifically have to offer them that they will want to enrich their day. I, I think, I mean, yes, yeah, similar, kind of similar to that, but is, is the podcast 
going to be good? Is it like exciting? Do you feel excited by it? Is it something that you would want to listen to? I think is really important and sounds really, really obvious, I guess, when I say it out loud, but like, um, you know, not like a, we should do a podcast about this area. Cause I think as someone like the financial times, maybe there's a lot of that, you know, it covers lots of things or it's known for things. So it's like, we should do a podcast about this aspect of, of kind of financial journalism, but you know, is there a way of doing that that is exciting and that kind of you as the team or as the people deciding to do that, you kind of feel, feel excited about. And if you do, then it's likely that other people will as well. Yeah, I think it's exactly that. But for brands, it's why are you doing this? What, what you were saying, Michelle, basically. So it drives me mad to see uh, like a brand spend loads of money doing like a six-part podcast series and then just walk away from it. And you get all the hard work of kind of creating it. And, and, and it's like you need to be committed in the long term because for most podcasts, it takes time to, to build them. And I, I often wonder what, brands are getting out of it with those kind of and there obviously are some that are successful and, and achieve the things that that those brands want but um i would just say like you have to be really committed to it and that goes for people if you're starting a podcast yourself i think the the most important thing is to make sure you enjoy making it yourself whether it's the process of doing it or or you know you want to make a podcast you enjoy listening to it because it's hard and it's rewarding and it's fun as well but very very few podcasts go on to make huge amounts of money so you need to kind of do it for the love and that goes even for for our shows there's lots of work for for hosts and the teams and the people have to enjoy making it because it's 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 not none of us are are going to well maybe Stephen Bartlett I don't know he seems to be doing all right but or Joe Rogan or someone like that but um first and foremost make sure that you love the thing that you're making because otherwise it's going to feel awful and, and why would you put yourself through that I don't know um, okay, so we're going to take some questions from the audience. Um, we have one from Ben Eagle from Rural Pod Media. What is the demographic of your particular podcast and what is your strategy to connect with and develop this audience base slash network? Um, I think for us, it's, um, it's well, we, we get quite a good spread across ages. Again, like I always wish you had more insights, but it's, it's reflective of the podcast industry in that our biggest listenership is the 25 to 34s from what we can see. Um, and in terms of how to connect with them, I think it's in our spread of content, making sure that we're telling stories that are appealing and relevant to them and they can see themselves reflected in that and that they can take away something that's going to be kind of nourishing for their lives. There's all stuff like social media and all of that sort of stuff as well, but I'll, I'll keep it to, to uh, content for now. Um, I mean, demographics change a lot across the different shows, but speaking again, I think like similar age range, we're trying to target a kind of younger demographic. And I think the listeners tend to be within those ranges, kind of under the under 40. I think for keeping engaged, a few of the shows that we have do call outs to to the audience to kind of participate so whether that's like do you have an idea for an episode or for our uh, life and art podcast they do kind of cultural predictions so what are your cultural predictions for 2024 and kind of getting people to send in either voice notes or either write it in and those get voiced up so kind of ways of making the audience feel like they're kind of part of this community through listening and like maybe they have that relationship to the host and they feel like they kind of know the host or whatever through through the process of listening and then kind of they can actively engage in the content i think is is quite a good way of keeping keeping people engaged yeah and, and for us history uh, as a, a kind of general subject is is kind of overwhelmingly a male subject uh for for 
uh, a lot of podcasts in particular. And, and when I joined three years ago, we had a very, very dominant male audience over 35 as well. And over the, the, the past three years, we deliberately tried to appeal more to, to kind of broaden that, that audience. So we now have three shows that are majority female audiences, which is really, really great and kind of quite rare in a, the history space as well. So, and, and those shows also have, have looked to kind of push the audience slightly younger too. So it's kind of, that's what I was sort of saying earlier about making sure that you're, you're serving your core audience, but also kind of pushing out into new, new listeners as well and, and new people who might be interested. Great. And how long would you advise giving a particular approach, strategy or format to bed in before you start evaluating whether or not it's working? Don't look at the list. Don't just rely on the listener numbers, okay? Because you might start with zero listeners. Um, and I can't remember what the stats are, but a lot of podcasts end after three episodes because people realize well, it's a lot of resource and I'm not getting loads of listeners. So listener numbers will grow. Um, so I would just say don't just rely on that. Also look at, again, if you can get out with focus groups or if you've got a social media presence or you can build up a community in another way, I would try to go down those routes as well. I think if you start looking at cold, hard stats um and don't think about actually is this um engaging content how engaged are people with it um then yeah you're you're you're, you're, you may end up disappointed so i think just look at um growth in any of your kind of objective areas that will mean that you've got a meaningful podcast yeah i would i would echo that to to stick with things for longer than maybe the the figures are indicating I think one thing you can do as well is if you have a format and if you have that feedback from whether it's focus groups or the people who do listen or you know people that you play it to that the format is good and is working um but you feel like you'd like to try other things and it's nothing to stop you from you know having a regular format and trying a different type of format as a one episode or every third or fourth episode is a different format and kind of seeing how those go so yeah I think you can you can kind of you know, if you're thinking of changing, you can keep with what you've got and you can um, use that space to to experiment with things and and see what works. Yeah, I think I think it's that really. And and I would say with a new show, with After Dark, for example, um, first of all, I'd like telling the host, look, don't, we're going to start with zero listens. So, you know, like hopefully this will go really well, but let's not worry too much too early about how, how well it does. But w- with that show, we did five episodes on launch and kind of did sort of two or three that we thought, well, we think we feel fairly confident these will perform really well based on what we know. Also a couple of different ones. And then you can see kind of what actually does perform well and then sort of keep changing. I would, I would say also, if you're making your own podcasts, you, you, I think you've got to commit to, to at least like 20, 30 episodes at, at least before you kind of know anything about what your podcast is or, or who your audience is. And, and just finally, the, the gentleman who asked the, the kind of question earlier about um, the size of audiences and things like that. If I was starting a podcast for myself now, just making it on my own, which I, I did a long, long time ago, I, I wouldn't be looking to have the biggest podcast in the world. I'd be looking to have the most engaged audience. And I think if you can get a thousand people who are willing to pay you three or four pounds a month, like advertising is so tough. Like you have to, you have to get a lot of listens to get advertising money that's worthwhile. I, and like lots of shows do, and we're very lucky that we have shows that do do that. But I would be saying, like, how do I make something that the audience that listens to my show really loves and that I can find a community that would be willing to 
support me and, and maybe allow me to, to do this full time. And we have time for one last question, and it's for Michelle. What would you say is the single biggest pillar of your podcast promotional strategy, and how does the podcast stand out from the rest of the National Trust's content? Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> what an ending. There's a question that I'm not quite, quite sure about. Uh, single biggest, biggest pillar of the podcast promotional strategy. Yes. I, I guess it's... So we get most of our listens through the podcast apps. So we have uh, National Trust channels as well. So we're, we're very lucky so we can kind of push our podcast out on the National Trust channels. But it is the apps that we're really reliant on and get, and get into people's routines. So I... I think that identify how people are consuming your podcast. And for us, it's making sure that with Apple, that we've got everything that we need where we are on their front page. So people can look in a, you know, um, history, which Steve, your episodes do dominate that a little bit, but you've got, you, you know, your the library. History, so you've got, yeah, you've got, yeah, that's it. So you've got history. We've, we're in reconnect with nature. So I think it's, if you are curated by one of those big apps and you're kind of front and center and people can see you, that has made a, a huge difference to us. Um, but that was I don't know I feel like it was a really bad ending to the whole thing I well no I think that's I think that probably joyous well, I, I thought that was really helpful uh, also those those Apple banners and Spotify and things like that they're open to everyone so yes you well, yes. obviously like they prioritize a certain number of kind of big producers and things like that but anyone can submit it and there are forms if you kind of google it Apple subscription forms or Spotify anyone could submit the artwork so and they do they are very good at kind of doing a range of kind of big shows, little shows, different types, different genres. So, you know, we submit a lot and we only a very small percentage of them actually get, get featured for, for us. But mm. I would say just keep, keep at it and you, you can get lucky and it's, it's really valuable. Yeah. And I think it's just, um, it's, for me, there's not been like a really massive, like sure in win. It's kind of slow growth and engagement. And then once someone's click follow and then you're in their library, there's a very high chance that they will then listen to you so every every follow is uh the main thing that we're trying to get really and get people to follow i i still can't get my head around the people it's something like 25 percent of people who listen to an episode don't follow it it might be more than that if you're if they're there tell them to follow because then they'll keep keep getting those episodes so it's really small things like that that, that kind of make a big difference in the long run hey thank you so much thank you thank you thank you that was Persis Love, Steve Lanham and Michelle Douglas talking all about their approach to crafting great content. Thanks so much to Persis, Steve and Michelle for joining us at the Podcast Growth Summit and thank you all for listening. Remember to subscribe to PodPod Pod for more great content like this and follow us on social media at PodPodOfficial. We'll see you next week for a fascinating discussion on the process of planning podcast ideas with novels Willard Foxton. See you next week. 